2: Good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, people, all the boat rockers who are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warned about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God, where we use the Bible and the Constitution here uh, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. Gra- glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. And uh, we've got two special guests on the line that we're going to get to in just a moment. If you would like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you head over to Sons of Liberty Media this morning, uh, you will be able to watch the video portion of the radio show That's right. You can see the face is made for radio, and I got a couple of guys joining me, so maybe they make me look a little better here. Um, I didn't refresh, but that'll be right here. Uh, I had the page up earlier. That'll be right here on the side of the page. Plus, um, let me go ahead and just hit that uh, for those who are viewing. Uh, There is a post. This also links up to the video portion. If you're using a mobile phone, I've been told that that doesn't work too good so I try to get that on in the morning if you want to watch it from sonsoflibertymedia.com. also real quickly again we don't ask for money but we do let you know that we have needs so if you if you feel led to help meet those needs and you have the ability to do so uh, we would ask that you head over to sons of com. there's a donate button right at the top of the page you can click on that and make a one-time donation or you can partner with us monthly and that is our become a son or daughter of Liberty. You can click that button right at the top of the page. You can set up what you want to give each month, and it just happens every month. Uh, you don't have to keep coming back to the website. And then if you're interested in our products, that's another way that you can also help us uh, do what we do, both on the radio and the Internet and out among the people. You can go to our store, and you can pick up T-shirts and uh, books and hats and all kinds of other stuff that you can uh, be able to start conversations, hopefully, with, with people that you will come in contact with, as well as... Uh, you'll be able to support the Sons of Liberty, and we appreciate that very much. We really do. Okay, um, this morning we're going to be talking about state legislators violating the Constitution. No surprise there, right? But there is a surprise when somebody does something about it. Uh, not that it should be. This should be the norm. But uh, we're going to be talking to two gentlemen about what's being done to address state legislators who are out of line, as well as the Constitution's prevent um, protections that. The United States shall guarantee to each state in this union a Republican form of government um, and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or the executive when the legislator, uh, legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Joining me today is Captain Carl Cannings. We often have him on now. Uh, he's become part of the family, as you will. And also Bob Schultz, So let me—I asked—I asked Carl. Carl's like I am. Give me something brief, okay? Here's a a book. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just teasing, but uh, he gave me an introduction here to Bob. And uh, Bob has an engineering degree with the United States Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point, New York. A master's degree in business administration from Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio, and he completed most of the coursework for a PhD in public administration from the Graduate School of Public Affairs, State University of New York at Albany. Uh, he's held several positions. I'm just going to try to run down here, and Bob, you just jump right in here in a minute and add anything or correct anything if I if I miss something. And although he's not attorney, he is not unskilled in the law. And for the past 41 years, Bob has been evaluating governmental behavior, comparing that behavior with the qu- requirements of the state and federal constitutions, and law Um, persuade thereto and unhesitatingly confronting improprieties and conflicts in and out of the courts professionally, intelligently, and rationally. Um, He has performed the research, prepared the briefs, and argued cases in the highest state and federal courts. I'd like for you to tell us how you did that uh, because I'm very interested in it. Nearly 200 decisions have been rendered thus far in cases he has brought against unconstitutional and illegal government behavior Often with other citizen plaintiffs, and he's won many cases, sometimes setting constitutional precedent. As the lead plaintiff, Bob, is currently prosecuting four cases, one against his town of Queensbury, one against Westchester County and the town of Harrison, one against the state of New York, and one against the United States. The underlying question in each of the in in each is the rights of the people and the obligations of the government under the last ten words of the First Amendment, the petition clause. Uh, Bob is not some legal crank. (laughs) He is interested in, in making a reputation. The things he's been dealing with are painful to him and costly. He has never asked for nor received any financial compensation for his work in holding government accountable to the rule of law, but he has received the encouragement and support and participation of a growing number of people throughout the country. Bob Schultz, welcome to the Sons of Liberty, man.
1: It's great to be with you. Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas to you, and uh, also to Captain Carl. Good morning, sir. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to see both of you. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's great to have both of you guys. And Bob, you know, as I read through this stuff, I'm sitting uh, when uh, Carl sent it to me the other day. I'm sitting here thinking, okay, there's a lot of people in the chat who are going to be eager to find out how you're doing, what you're doing, how you have, I don't know, your fingers in so many pies up there you're not an attorney uh but yet you're you're a citizen seeking to hold your government accountable those who work for you and there's people in the chat room almost daily that go what can we do what well we've been giving them things with the militia we've been giving them things that they can they can do on other fronts where they um refuse the tyranny that's being forced upon them now through the convid and uh, and things of this nature but you're in there in the courtrooms You're winning some battles there. Uh, Tell us about what's going on with you, man.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, I I think it's uh, important to say right off the bat that uh, in terms of what people can do, I believe we, the people, need to institutionalize this citizen vigilance. Um, And I believe the way to do that is to have... Uh, people who have the time, who are retired or um, semi-retired, to volunteer, to monitor what their government is doing um, at the town level, at the county level, at the state level, and um, be trained. It's not difficult. I've been through it (laughs) 41 years ago um be trained to understand that there is a not only a US constitution most people don't know that there's a state constitution and then of course all the laws that are under it and if they were to detect some issue uh maybe a potential violation um they know where to look they'll be trained to know where to look it's not that difficult um and then trained to prepare, if they see a, a potential violation, trained to prepare a one-page petition for redress of grievances under the First Amendment. The last 10 words, we're, we're guaranteed it's a natural God-given right we have just because we're alive uh, to hold the government accountable with a petition for redress of grievances, and um, which simply states what the law is or the constitutional provision, uh, what the facts are, um, and then asks the official uh, to um, refute the facts if they're wrong, uh, offer their own, uh, or stop what they're doing. And uh, if there is no response to that petition, uh, which happens a lot, um, then um the, uh, uh, there's a, a right with every uh, with every right, there's a remedy. And uh, if they were to not respond, then under this plan of institutionalizing citizen vigilance, that monitor in that town or in that county uh, would pass the petition uh, to the Citizen Vigilance Center. So in this plan um, that I've been promoting for some time to institutionalize citizen vigilance, each state would have a citizen vigilance center um, near the state capitol. And in there, there would be some folks familiar with the law, attorneys or otherwise, and they would investigate and and recommend uh, a course of action, either legal, or civic. Um, And the civic action would be a call for all the members, all the supporters of this um, undertaking to um, act in some way together. Because as we've learned um, over the years, it's very very hard for individuals and small groups to prevail. it's going to take. Unfortunately, it's going. It, it, there was a day when an individual citizen could petition uh, their, say, their congressman, and unless that petition was totally frivolous or libelous, it always went to a committee. Until 1836, it always went to a committee, and every Monday, Congress dealt with petitions for redress of grievances from citizens. But all of that changed. Uh, in 1836, with the gag rule, which we can talk, which we can come back to.
2: Now, now wait so a minute, hey, plan, hey, let me let me ask you, Hey, let me jump in here. Are you saying our Congress, the 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 U.S. Congress, used to take every Monday and hear a redress of grievances from the people?
1: Exactly. The history of the right to petition—it's fascinating. You know, the First Amendment, as you know, guarantees five rights in the order that they're mentioned. It's freedom of worship, speech, press, the right to assemble, as we're doing here now to criticize the government if we want to. And then the right to petition the government for redress of grievances. Ten words. And the Supreme Court has held forth on the first four. So we know what the rights of the people and the obligations of the government are under those first four fundamental natural rights, but the court has never declared the rights of the people or the obligations of the government under the last 10 words. So what we do, what the legal community does in the absence of case law, it's called, um, they look at the framers' intent and they look at the historical scope and purpose, the origin and the line of growth of that uh, right or of that clause uh, in, the, in the Constitution. And of course, that work has been done. Um, in the 80s, uh, President Reagan had nominated somebody to be a Supreme Court justice. And there was a citizen who didn't think that person was, obli- was uh, um, qualified. And so he wrote a letter uh, to the Senate Judiciary Committee whose job it was to uh, vet this person and nominate him. And uh, the man didn't get the job and he was upset. And so he sued the citizen for libel. And that case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the only thing the Supreme Court did with respect to the First Amendment right to petition was say this, just as the the, uh, right to free speech does not give you the right to libel somebody the right to petition does not give anyone the right to libel anyone. And um, that's all the Supreme Court said. Didn't define the rights or the obligations. But they mentioned the, uh, the First Amendment right to petition, and it woke up the legal community. There were a dozen law review articles written uh, on the right to petition, and probably the best, and I would recommend your audience Google uh, or try to find... Uh, the one written by Gregory Mark, a professor at Rutgers. It's called The Vestigial Constitution, colon, a thorough history of, or thorough review of the yeah, historical review of the First Amendment right to petition. And boy, you learn there what uh, right that we have and, and how it ended up in the First Amendment uh, Thomas Paine and common sense had a lot to do with that um, and uh, so you you learn uh, for instance that the first time it was ever mentioned in writing was in the Magna Carta of 1215 the Magna Carta was a was a charter and in section 61 and I encourage people to Google section uh, of the Magna Carta 1215 and go to section 61 and you you have King. George um, King John, he's writing um, uh, that if the people uh, feel that the the monarchy, the government, is in any way uh, infringing on their rights or not, as he said, not appropriately keeping the peace, uh, they can petition. And and then it goes on and says, and if we do not respond... In 40 days, then you, the people, have the right to take everything we own, I'm quoting, including our lands, castles, and possessions, everything but our life and and uh, my life, the life of the queen, the children, and the life of the chief, uh, chief justice. And that right to petition the government grew from there. And eventually, the right of speech and press and assembly uh, came about because, and they would, they derived from this pre-existing right. What good is the right to petition if you can't speak about it or write about it or assemble, get people together to talk about their grievances before they petition. So um, it's, it's a, it ended up in our first amendment, I think principally because of Thomas Paine and what he wrote about in common sense. And, um, Thomas Paine published Common Sense in January of 1776. Uh, and uh, the, the right to petition um, was a right that was freely exercised and government was responding uh, in the colonial legislatures. Um, and, but all of that uh, changed after, I, I don't want to get too te- deep into this, but we had a revolution, a revolution the war of, of uh, there was a war, and it ended in 1763. Uh, France was gone; England was left with these large standing armies, and they started to treat the people differently here than they were treating their own people back in Great Britain. And all of a sudden, the petitions were being answered only with repeated injury, to use the language of the Declaration of Independence, and um, and that went on for 11 years, and the country back then was pretty much, I would believe, the way it is today. There was a lot of vitriol. There was a lot of uh, divisiveness. Uh, There were those who were for reconciliation with the government, and there were those uh, who were for separation. And of course, Thomas Paine was for separation. And in his pamphlet, Common Sense, he laid out uh, all of the the grievance, all the arguments for separation. And he happened to say, uh, in, in uh, Common Sense, and we have been recklessly petitioning. He said, recklessly petitioning. You know, they petitioned back then. The petition got out of boat and was taken over to England and not answered or, or worse. And so he uses this phrase, the people were recklessly petitioning. And at the end of his uh, Common Sense, in his last paragraph, he recommends that there'd be a manifesto, and it turned out to be uh, the Declaration of Independence, But um, and in, in which he said, uh, we talk about how ineffectual have been our attempts to hold the government accountable. And uh, sure enough, in the Declaration of Independence, um, my copy that I carry around is five pages. Three of those pages list all of the um, grievances. And then at the very – I encourage people to go to the two-sentence paragraph at at the bottom of that list of grievances. Um, This is what it says. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned humbly, and our repeated petitions have been answered only with repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which would define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. That's in the Declaration of Independence. So clearly, clearly, the constitutional scholars are, are right. The 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 petition, the, the failure of the government to respond to petitions, was the capstone grievance. The scholars call it the capstone grievance, um, and which led to the to to the separation. So this right to petition, <laughs> it, it's not only in the. Uh, uh, Declaration of Independence, and then it finds its way right into the First Amendment. And, of course, <laughs> um, it's, it's, you know, the Constitution is all about power, right, between the people and the government. And um, the government, you know, it's a, the Constitution is, a, is a, it's a set of do's and don'ts. We, the people, as the Declaration of Independence, we institute the government to secure our rights. We, the people, have the ultimate power. And, um, and, and so when, uh, but government <laughs> uh, doesn't like it that way, right? I mean, it's natural. Um, they're going to step outside the boundaries we have drawn around their power or attempt to. Uh, that's natural human behavior. It's power-hungry people uh, don't like being told what they can and cannot do. Um, and 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 I think that's um, that's the struggle. And
0: and, and uh, I would say they, they violate a lot of the uh, delegated powers that we uh, gave to them under Article One, Section Eight of the Constitution. And that is one of the primary problems that we have. They they operate this government as if we have a democracy that was outlawed under Article Four, Section Four of the Constitution, and enforced by the Tenth Amendment Law. But our states, who are, quote-unquote, duty-bound to enforce those laws, haven't been doing their part. And one of the reasons why they haven't is because the people don't understand the power that we have. In fact, Bob, one of the big things that you and I did that we worked on with uh, We the People Congress and We the People Foundation was the fact that we're not supposed to be taxed. The Supreme Court ruled in several different cases that the American people aren't supposed to be taxed. Well, why not? I mean, who's going to take care of everything? Who's going to pay for different things? And as you know, you know the only, the, just about the only taxes that are supposed to be out there are corporate taxes, uh, and we're supposed to have all of our money because all spending, according to the Tenth Amendment Law, uh, other than for the eighteen enumerated things under Article in Section Eight, um, are supposed to be paid for by us and our states. In other words, all powers not delegated to the U.S. government by the Constitution, meaning Article 1, Section 8, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. And that's where we have this power. We have this centralized power, and it has turned into a socialist power, really, or maybe even fascist, if you want to use that term. And so all this has to be corrected. Tim, what I want to do is tell the people where they can learn about the Constitution real easily. And um, one of the one of the best places that I have found are several different videos available from the National Center for Constitution uh, Education uh, (NCCS). And uh, if you go on their website, and I sent you a hot link on our um, mode of, of communication, Tim, you could put that up on, uh, you know, on the screen for the people. The hot link, um, and also. Um, one of my friends and colleagues, Chris Ann Hall, has a great uh, facility called Liberty First University, and I also sent you a link on that. I just want the American people to have some some very simple way to learn about the Constitution and our rights. And another thing that your people, that all of our people need to understand, and we need to all be together on this and unite, uh, is that rights are powers that we hold over the President of the United States. We hold over, we hold these powers over all judges across the United States at every single level. The power, rights are powers that we individually have over the President of the United States, over our Congressman, over the Senate and the lower house. Um, and And that's critical to understand. And the only way you really fully can understand that is to learn the constitution. And uh, that's uh, Bob learned about that 40 years ago, and I learned about that back in 2004, and I had to connect with somebody because I, could, I couldn't believe what I had learned, and I connected with uh, Bob and We the People Congress. So, Well, there's, um, there's
2: also, in addition to those two, we've got our friends, uh, Michael Peruca. He ran for president in 2004. They run the uh, Institute on the Constitution, <clears throat> and um, theirs is in a, a DVD format, but you also have a workbook that you can go through. And they actually go around the country. They have classes that the people go through, and then they go around and graduate those people out of those classes as well. So it's not just, you know, you're just doing something on your own, but you're kind of encouraged by the people that you're learning alongside of, too. So I appreciate you, um, you know, bringing those, those items to our attention. Now, I wanted to ask, Bob, there is, um, <clears throat> you mentioned the vestigial constitution, the history and significance of the right to petition. Was that by Gregory Mark? Is that what you said?
1: Yes, Professor Gregory Mark. Okay, it's I'll have the that. Vestigial, yeah. The vestigial constitution. I think the uh, a thorough history of the right to petition. I think that's the full title. I've
2: got I've got a copy. I just want to make sure that when I do the archives later this morning at senseoflibertymedia.com, uh, guys, when you go there, that one that's on there now is just basically an introduction to who Bob is and the video but later on this morning, like I always do, I'll be adding all of this information that we're going to show you. All of these links will be there, and I've got this uh, document, the Vestigial Constitution, pulled up. I just want to make sure it's the right, the same author and uh, so that we can uh, help people, you know, give them the information they need so that they can do their own homework on this issue. Okay, Bob, so <clears throat> I know Joni. Joni's been contributing... Uh, helping me out for a long time, and she says, Oh, I'd love to learn how to do this. They would just never get enough of me. When are you going to quit quoting Scripture? When are you going to quit quoting the Constitution? You got anything else to go? And she's going to go, Nope, you're still wrong. Now correct yourself. <laughs> so she's she's eager to get in on some of this, I know. Um, one of the things, though, is you're, you're dealing with with this, and when you're talking about what had come before with our forefathers— I was reminded of Oliver Cromwell doing something similar in England there with the Charles I and eventually it ended up with the king getting his head cut off cuz he just would not he would not submit to God. It wasn't just the people, the people were holding his feet to the fire to obey God and he just thought he was above that and he ended up, you know, getting his head cut off because of of his tyranny. And of course in with with England and and the colonies The issue is throwing off the tyrants there, establishing a government here. Now, you know, for it's not just something that's happened today. This has been going on for some time. It's been growing and growing. It's just becoming more apparent now. But we do have this idea that government, and it's being pushed on us, that it is a democracy. I spoke about this the other day, that somehow if we get enough people in on this, then, you know, we've been hearing, especially in a presidential election, if we get enough people to just overthrow this electoral college thing, then we can just have the popular vote. It'll be simple and this, that and the other. And <clears throat> these are the same people hypocritically who point to, quote unquote, red states and they'll say, see how they're holding us together? They're holding us hostage in this. Well, what do you think it'll be with a popular vote? It'll be New York, California and Florida. And that's it. If if that they're the ones that's going to hold everybody else hostage. So <clears throat> at least this way, all of the states somewhat have some equal standing there. And part of what you're doing there is very commendable. I, I'm trying to figure out how you're doing what you're doing. Can you kind of give us maybe some insights and tips on how you got into doing what you're doing? Because I think that's very important. And then we'll talk about some of these specific things that Carl mentioned that you guys are, are putting forward.
1: Sure, so in the beginning, <laughs> um, let's go back to the, to the 1970s. I was here, I, have, I had purchased oh, 100, over hundred acres on the east side of Lake George, New York. Lake George is a 31 mile long lake uh, in the foothills of the Adirondack Mountains. Thomas Jefferson visited it and, and said, it's the queen of America's lakes. It is stunningly beautiful. And it's a very uh, popular tourist um, area, Uh, especially the people from downstate, uh, New York, New Jersey, uh, elsewhere. Uh, It's a family uh, tourist area. People bring their families here. And um, I was raising horses, thoroughbred horses, uh, sheep and kids, and uh, life was good. I had a very, uh, very good career going. And, um, but the government here, uh, my town of Queensbury and my county of Warren, Warren County, next to Washington County, um, the government was telling the people that, in their words, this lake was going to, quote, turn pea soup green in six to 10 years because everybody's (coughs) on site uh, septic systems were contaminating the lake. And they uh, had a plan, run sewer lines down both sides of the lake, connect them together at the bottom of the lake and run it you know, some 15 miles to the Hudson River where they would build a, a sewage treatment plant and put the effluent in the river. And, um, and they uh, had a countywide referendum based entirely on what the government was telling the people. Uh, the people approved this three, four to one, because if the lake died, then tourism would die, the value of your homes would go south, and and on it went. Um, And I don't know, I was uh, a full-time advisor uh, to the US administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency and um, knew, well, there was a new law. Uh, The states were forming their environmental agencies and we had a new law here in New York passed in 1977, two years before our government was telling us the lake was going to die. But the law was the State Environmental Quality Review Act requiring environmental impact statements on projects like this, where you had to look at all the alternatives, including the no action alternative, and compare the totality of those impacts and choose the alternative that was going to have the least adverse impact on the environment with the economy taken into consideration. So that was a law passed in 1977. And anyway, so here's the, my government locally um, proposing this project. And my wife brought me the newspaper one day. There was an announcement that the person put in charge, the government person put in charge of this project was going to be speaking at the little firehouse around the bend from where we live. And I said to her, well, I, we, I've got some questions. <laughs> And, and so um, we went to the uh, firehouse, and there were a lot of folks there. And this fellow spoke, and when he finished, I raised my hand. Had I not raised my hand to ask a question of a government official, I wouldn't be on your show today. It changed my life. Um, he said, no questions. If you have any questions, see me later. I instinctively felt there's something wrong with that. And I nudged my wife and said, we're leaving. I want to get home and get on the phone and talk to people who have been around the lake longer than we have and so forth. And she said, not without my covered dish. It was a covered dish luncheon meeting. So we left. I got on the phone talking to people that had been around the lake longer. You know, is there any algae anywhere? No. Is anybody getting any rashes when they go swimming? No. Are there any restrictions on the uh, fish that are caught in the lake eating the fish? No. What is going on? I decided to look into this. And what I discovered was there was always a bill in the legislature uh, to authorize commercial casinos. We had com- gambling casinos on the Indian reservations in the, in the state, but not, not off the Indian reservations. And this bill, which never was coming out of committee, would authorize that and um and and i come learned that it was the people who owned the principal tourist attractions at the head of the lake they had these visions of tens of thousands of people coming year round i mean in the in the winter time things just sort of die uh, around here in this tourist area um and and um but so the the um uh, so so they were behind this, and um, so I also learned that, in looking into this, that there was a um, a new law on the uh, uh, not a new law, but a law on the books that it, in New York that had been passed in 1947. And this is what it says, I'm quoting all teachers of the state will teach all children of the state in public and private schools from grade eight on, so over a five-year period, teach them what? Quote, the history, the meaning, the significance, and the effect of every provision of our state and federal constitutions and our Declaration of Independence. I was 51 years old. I didn't know there was a state constitution. Judy and I graduated high school in 1957. We weren't taught any of this. My kids and grandkids weren't taught. Um, and, and, you know, when you think about it, that's natural as as the government took over education. At one time, if you read Thomas Paine, you'll see that he talks about, you know, biblical law and, and everyone's a Christian and so forth. Um, And so here um, we have uh, a law that just shook me up. I mean, it is a law and the government has decided as public education took over private education from the different religious denominations, pretty much, um, they decided it's not in their best interest to teach the children that they have the ultimate power in our society and to teach them anything about you know, um, their rights. And that's what's happened. One rising generation after another has not been taught. And so we have all of these people who are not anchored to our fundamental values and principles. And it is because of its absence uh, in the education uh, process. So uh, I learned that at the the time of this. So I just decided to do something I had never done before I never sued the government um, and I got an attorney. It was a smart move to look for an attorney outside this area from Albany, which is about an hour's right South of us here. And, um, and, and we went, he did the legal work and I did the technical work. I learned the process just by being involved in that case as heavily as I was. And, um, and, and our, our, claim was that this project is going ahead without this environmental review in violation of the law. The law is, the government is violating the law. And uh, that was our claim. And uh, it went to the, uh, when you sue the government in New York state, there's three levels. The lowest level is called the Supreme Court in and for the county of, in this case, Warren. And then there's a a mid-level appellate court. And then there's the highest court in the state, the Court of Appeals. And the case was assigned to the state supreme court justice here locally, and he promptly dismissed the case. He started learning something about the judicial judicial process with that. And in the mid level court, they gave me half a loaf. Um, They said before that project can go any further, you've got to do that review under the law. Well. Most people might've been happy with that decision, but I wasn't because I knew the results of that review were supposed to be before the people, before they were brought to to vote on the project. But also uh, the results of that review were supposed to be before all of the members of the town board that approved this project and the county board that approved the project. They were supposed to have the results of that review before they voted. And so I asked the high court if they would hear the case and they agreed. And it was a very robust decision. They gave us everything we were asking for, total victory. They undid the results of a countywide public referendum. That's hard to do. And also nullified the results of the um, town and county board in approving and financing the project. And eventually uh, a full-blown environmental review of this project was undertaken and the bottom line was the last thing you want to do around this lake is add any sewers. Uh, and it turns out most of the pollution of this lake comes from dry, not from on-site septic systems, but from dry fall and wet fall, things just coming out of the atmosphere when it's raining or not. And uh, and if you were to put sewer lines down both, the highways down both sides of the lake, then what you see today it's it's just spectacular beauty. Both sides of the lake are green and largely, you know, undeveloped. But because there's no soils there, uh, but if you put sewer lines down both sides of the lake, then people can totally, you know, get the view and build, <clears throat> and their their wastewater would just gravitate down to that pipe <clears throat> and be pumped in, uh, away. So um, clearly, and, and so here we are, um, forty years later, and um, those sewers are not there yet, and the place is just as spectacularly beautiful as as it has always been. So, um, but it changed my life. I became very interested in the uh, founding fathers. I, I particularly settled on on Jefferson. I went to his home in Monticello. There was a book on the on the book stand down there called uh, the constitutional thought of thomas jefferson uh which i purchased um and the first four chapters were about republicanism and i said, i remember reading that and saying why wasn't i ever taught this stuff i mean with all my education why and um of course the answer is um uh, the government does not you know if you teach that you're going to it would result in a pretty significant shift in the ultimate power from the government back to the people where it was meant to reside in the first place. Um,
0: Yeah. They they, they didn't want that. They didn't want the power going, going back to the people. And I think that the people on the show here would like to know a little bit about some of the things we did with We the People Congress slash We the People Foundation and uh, petitions for the redress of grievances and, um also i'd like to bring forth the, the the movie that aaron russo made which was largely about our group we the people congress and we the people foundation uh that they can see on youtube the full version is on youtube uh you just gotta look for the version that's like one hour and 40 minutes long or something like that but it's great yeah, we should tell
1: we should tell the audience the title it's it's um, america freedom to fascism done by aaron russo who's departed now um, but yeah, um, we inspired Aaron and, uh, thank God it, it's, uh, it's a, it's a good flick.
2: Amen. <laughs> it It is. And I'll have that up for people so they can check it out. One of the things that you may mention, and we'll start bringing up these documents here, uh, was you mentioned Thomas Paine, you know, he's one of the least, I guess, Christian, if you will, of the founding fathers. And, uh, and you talked about him, they're Christians, they have the Bible you know, I was I was showing you guys the D V D set here and the thing from the Institute on the Constitution. Michael Peruca <clears throat> had recently just said well not recently, but I went back I was going back through some of the, the videos here of his lectures, and one of the things he said was You cannot say or he says you cannot say you've studied law if you have not studied the Bible. Then you've not studied law. And so he he equates the two because law comes from our creator, it's what we we term as natural law, but it's also a revealed law that's there that he's given us. And I I think that was our foundations long before the Constitution was in play. Uh, We had the the pilgrims who came over, set up the Mayflower Compact. You mentioned the Magna Carta. All these kinds of things derived from the understanding of what the Scripture had said and the law being established there. Now, with that said, what are some of the things you guys are doing? Because I've got several of these um, uh, documents that uh, Carl sent over um, I show I was showing the one the historical record of the right to petition government for redress when you were quoting the um, uh, Magna Carta, and then this First Amendment petition for redress of grievances, public elections, and also of electors. Uh, do you want to hit on that a little bit, Bob?
1: Yes. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, of course, um, the election this. November 3rd election has been very much in the news, and there have been a lot of a lot of emotion, a lot of charges and counter charges and lawsuits and all of that, um, which you can't help but notice. Um, but something did excite me, and that was an interview that Paxton, forget his first name, the Attorney General of Texas had one evening. And um, he was talking about um, a lawsuit that the state of Texas had just filed that day against four states um, under the electors clause of the Constitution. And um, and I was excited because uh, I remember saying to my wife, now that's a winner. Um, that will go someplace. Um And uh, it it turns out the next day, the Supreme Court, you know, the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction, you can go directly there, uh, when one state sues another state. So this was a case where the court had original jurisdiction, Texas brought the case against those four states saying that they violated the Elector's Clause of the Constitution The electors uh, clause uh, in the U.S. Constitution makes it clear that all matters having to do with election uh, will be determined or set. The procedures will be set by law, by the state legislatures, not by anyone in the executive branch or in the judicial branch, but by the uh, legislatures the state legislatures, and um, so the Texas complaint against these four swing states was that there were changes in the election procedure uh, that were uh, made by, um, say, governors or secretaries of states or board of elections, or there was a lawsuit and it was made by, by a judge, and um, I felt when I heard him speak that that would be a winner, but the next day the Supreme Court dismissed it for lack of standing. There's a I, I don't normally repeat uh, things I've heard unless I'm absolutely sure they're factual. I did hear. Uh, I hesitate to pass this on because I I don't have the firsthand or the the, the evidence, but. I hear that um, when the judges at the Supreme Court got this, you know, they normally they go into a room and there's nobody else in the room and they discuss the case whether they're going to hear it or you know what the issues are. And people outside were reporting from outside were reporting that there was screaming going on in that room. John Roberts especially, and <clears throat> what they were saying was, we can't hear this case. The 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 people are you know. The, in a, on a tinder box, ready to explode. Um, and Anyway, they dismissed it for lack of standing. And, and I looked at the uh, the case to see if there were individuals as plaintiffs, because the, all of the provisions in the Constitution are individual rights, and, and, and there was no individuals uh, as plaintiffs. So I got to thinking, well, maybe it's time to hear from the people. Uh, maybe the people should... Um, petitioned, exercised their right to hold the government accountable. Clearly, uh, I did the research. There were, um, uh, and I I thank Ballotpedia uh, for this. They did a very thorough job um, of going back to March of last, uh, March of this year and documenting 276 instances things that happened, decisions that happened in states uh, that were election-related. And I went down that list very carefully. And uh, if there was a, a procedural change that was not authorized by the state legislature, then that is uh, unconstitutional. And so I documented um, 31 states that had made where changes were made in the election process, whether it was uh mail-in balloting, some state legislatures authorized mail-in balloting, but some states uh, mail-in balloting occurred based on the, uh, the, you know, the governor's executive order or something. Well, that's unconstitutional, according to, you know, the electors clause. So we, um, I decided to petition based on these facts and put, Uh, It's an 18-page document, uh, a First Amendment petition to Congress for redress of violations by the states of the electors and the Guarantee Clause, both clauses, of the Constitution for the United States of America. And that 18-page petition has two attachments. One attachment is the thorough historical review of the petition clause uh, it's there to, <laughs> to let the Congress know that for these reasons, you know, you're obligated to respond. Don't don't ignore this, and then uh, and then to keep these violations, you know, keeping uh, to prevent this kind of chaos in future elections, um, there is a uh, an attachment number two uh, in which. Um, Uh, it argues and lays out how elections should be run based basically on paper ballots, hand marked, hand counted, and no computerized vote counting. We have a fundamental principle underlying our constitution. It's the public nature of elections. It's the principle for the public nature of elections. Every stage in the election process, especially counting is to be open for public examination and observation, and that's not possible when you use computers, you know, to count and so forth. So that's the second. So it's a it's a petition with two attachments, um, and it's posted on our website, occupy the constitution.org So I'll give you the full the full link uh, if you don't have it. It's http colon slash uh, slash www occupy the constitution org slash presidential hyphen election hyphen twenty twenty. And people can go there and um uh and 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 sign it. Uh, I should tell you that uh, last Friday I had planned to drive the nine hour drive down to Washington to serve this on Congress and we had this twenty just two feet of snow. Uh, on Thursday, and um, it changed my plan. So instead, I dug <laughs> dug us out. I'm, I'm 1,500 feet off the highway, dug us out, and um, and I went to uh, the office of my congressman, uh, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. Well, I, I called her office in Washington and spoke with a woman named Stephanie, uh, and and said who I was and that I was a constituent of hers and uh, that I had this petition. And um, unfortunately, the snow knocked out the internet. And, and so she said uh, that she would call her local office here in Glens Falls, New York, to let them know I was coming then. This was last Friday and, um, and that they should scan it and send it down. So I did that. I met with a young man named Joshua at uh, her office and uh, presumably it was scanned and sent down, but I knew that uh, we ought to have many more signatures than just mine, and uh, so we uh, hired a uh, technician, and uh, uh, he's, this is now posted, and, and, and it was, he worked through the weekend, and so Sunday it uh, was ready, and uh, for signature online, And, boy, uh, it's all over the country. It's amazing the number of people that are reading and signing this. Uh, I was on a show with the National Liberty Alliance last night, a a call from 9 to 12, and and I had noticed uh, just before the show the number of people signing from all over. And then something happened during the show, because there is a verification to to verify – the, we have we have a policy, a privacy policy for emails. Um, they'll be kept private, but there's a verification process where uh, people put their email down, and we and there's an email sent to them that they have to respond. Just click respond uh, or submit, and that's all it takes uh, to uh, complete the signature process. But there was a glitch last night, probably just. Um, <laughs> This uh, company I'm using to host the website probably didn't have the bandwidth, and has to uh, improve that. But anyway, so, so uh, Bob, Bob, so hang, Bob, hang on a second.
2: Well, hey, hey, we're coming up on the end of the show here. I got to cut off the phone lines too, and I uh, want to let people yep. know they can go to OccupyTheConstitution.org org forward slash presidential dash election dash 2020 if you want to sign this petition now you guys are getting this ready so it can be heard i think what be- before january 6th or you got to get this stuff done by january the 6th so there's going to be some stuff to be done there you guys on red state talk radio if you want to uh carl and uh, bob are going to hang on with me just a few minutes after if you want to join us join us on youtube before it's com or com. And we'll continue uh, there, Rotten to the Court Wednesday with Lynn Taylor tomorrow. See ya. Okay, all right. For all those joining us from Red State Talk Radio, thank you for joining us on the video platform. And uh, Bob didn't mean to interrupt you or Carl. I, I just needed to get that out because we were short on time. But this uh, this petition that I'm showing here, this is a way people can get into doing what you were talking about at the first. They can petition the government for redress of grievances. Specifically, you know, one of the things, uh, Carl, you were making mention of was uh, Chris Ann Hall and the Liberty First University. And I listened to her when she was talking about this case coming out of Texas and talking about the fact that the state legislatures uh, and, and these other, you know, unelected bureaucrats that are there were ignoring the law that the Constitution says the states are to set up for electors. They were ignoring the law, and so, therefore, that was impacting other states, which is the exact reason the federal courts exist in the first place is exactly. to deal, is to deal you know, across state lines. They're not there to be dealing with, um, you know, stuff that goes on inside the state, per se. They're to be dealing with the things between the states, whether they're uh, the legislature, the individual, whatever the case may be. Um, That's right. and, and the fact that they would say there's no standing doesn't make sense to me, except for maybe what Bob was saying that no individuals were listed there. So is this, is this in essence, what you're trying to do, get a list of individuals who can, who can say we have standing because they aren't, they aren't keeping the, uh, the, they're not obeying the constitution.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's to have individuals, uh, that they, the, the, the electors clause is an individual right that we all have. We have the right to have, uh, as the electors clause states, we have the right to have the process, the manner in which electors are chosen determined by the state legislatures, uh, not by anyone else in the judicial branch or in the executive branch. That's a right that we have and, and um, so uh, having individuals sign this petition uh, lots of them <laughs> unfortunately I, I know from past experience that uh, if an individual sends a petition um, it's very easy for them to just you know ignore it but if people are putting a collective foot down then um, it's it's much harder for them to ignore it yep. it, it shouldn't work that way it uh, it, you know, individuals, as I say, um, the, the, the Bill of Rights was added to the Constitution in 1791, and from then on, if people petitioned um, their government, whether it be county or, or federal, uh, government responded. Uh, but then in 1836, as I say, the the um, the House of Representatives, the Southern congressmen prevailed. They got a gag rule passed. They did not want to respond until then. Every Monday, you, you know, Congress dealt with petitions for redress of grievances every Monday, and and um, and they did not want um, uh, to respond to the petitions coming in from abolitionists seeking to end the practice of slavery. So they passed this gag rule and said any of those are going to be permanently tabled. First time government, everyone went on record um, saying that they didn't have to respond. And it took John Quincy Adams eight years. He was president, went back to Congress. It took him eight years to um, uh, to get that gag rule repealed. and But the damage had been done. It had become the forgotten right until now. Um, so, you know, it uh, it, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, they don't take it seriously. They don't know anything about it, <laughs> these public officials. And, and so, um, uh, you know, by the numbers, unfortunately, uh, the more people signing the petition, the louder the noise, so to speak, and the more receptive the uh, officials are going to be. And in this case... It's a petition going to Congress. We'll gather all of the signatures. I'll probably save them all to hard drives and drive it down there in time for the January 6th.
2: Okay. Now, one of the things I've done is I have dropped the link in all of our video platforms. So you guys have that. Go there and sign the petition. Um, And then what we're going to do is I'm going to have other documents plus a link to this, plus the video from Aaron Russo, the vestigial constitution, all this stuff that you're giving me, I'm pulling up so that people can do their own homework. That's what I like to do. I like to put it, they hear what's going on, you pique their curiosity, they want to look at it themselves, and the best way to learn is if you learn it yourself, not if you're just told something. But if you're told something, you go, hmm, I want to check that out myself. We put that in the archive, sonsoflibertymedia.com, and people will be able to go there. It's it's the, the structure of the articles there now, but all you're going to get is the video portion. But after the show, sometime later on in the morning, it's usually before lunch. I'll have everything there. So if you guys are saying, Hey, I missed something here. I want to get that. That'll be at sons of Liberty media.com. All right, guys. Um, Carl, did you have something else you wanted to add in here as well?
0: Yeah, just a little bit. I, um, I just wanted to bring to light for all your, your viewers and listeners. Um, it's absolutely critical that you understand the first paragraph, uh, in the called the Preamble of the Constitution. We, the people, it says in there, we ordained and established our laws on both Republicans and Democrats, and in all of our governments from the local municipal government, you know, up to the county government, up to the state government, and right up to the President of the United States and Republicans and Democrats, we ordained and established our laws on them, To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. We're talking about individual rights. Our God-endowed individual and animal rights. And it's critical that the people get involved and understand that we are the rulers and the leaders of this entire republic. Of this union of 50 free, individual, and sovereign nations under God. The visible with liberty and justice for all. And Bob has set up a way here. We've set up a way here. Bob set up a way here that you can get involved and that you can take your power back and get your rights back, okay, through these petition for the redress of grievances. And it's so critically important for you and your family and for your financial and physical health. Um, you know, we got to have... You know, the ability to be able to control these politicians because they're so corrupt. As you know, we don't need to explain that. So I I just wanted to bring that up. Thank you very much, Tim.
2: Yep. Glad to have you guys on. Uh, I want to add to that part that came just before what you said, and that was that they were establishing the Constitution in order to establish justice. That's the one thing. If there's one thing missing out of D.C., it's justice. That's that is just missing completely. It's to ensure domestic tranquility. Is anybody seeing that going on and to provide for the common defense? Now, they want to call it common defense. But what they want to what really is. And I found this fascinating, uh, Carl, because you were talking about the the corporate taxes were what, uh, you know, once sustained that federal government. Now it's flipped on its head. The corporate the corporate taxes are you know basically we're we're going to say you guys can have all that just come bring your jobs in here it's again it becomes very Marxist as the solution as soon as a politician comes in and says like Bill Clinton it's the economy stupid you know he's a Marxist at heart at least in his thinking whether he says he is or not because he does not start with the first thing and that is justice that's law and justice. And you know, what we know, go ahead. Uh, what,
0: what, what Bob and I had noticed while we were working at, you know, doing the We the People Congress and We the People Foundation was that corporate taxes had always paid for the total cost of the annual cost of the military. I mean, it was all covered there and then some on most years. It was, uh, it was well beyond what they even needed. Um, and all other spending, I'm, I'm cutting it kind of short here and I'm not getting into super details, but. All their spending is reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. That's why we're not supposed to have any income taxes. The only thing that the U.S. government can use income taxes for is for violating the Tenth Amendment law. That's the only purpose of it. That's the only use, meaning they're taking can away I... our rights and our powers. Bob, do you have a comment on that?
1: Yeah, can I – you got time, Tim? I, I'll just comment yeah, on this ahead. tax issue. Go ahead. Yeah, briefly. So the Constitution authorizes two types of the tax clauses – of the Constitution authorized two types of taxes. One is the indirect tax and the other is the direct tax. An indirect tax is uh, um, a tax that uh, the Constitution says must be uniform. And so an, an example of an indirect tax is a tax on, a federal tax on every gallon of gasoline that's sold in America. Mm-hmm. And the Constitution says Congress can impose direct taxes or indirect taxes anytime it wants to, but they have to be uniform. And so if a a boatload of t-shirts comes in uh, to New York City and there's a a tax on there, uh, that tax has to be the same as the tax on the t-shirts that came in to a boatload uh, with a boatload uh, in San Francisco uh, and so forth. And the other um, type of tax is the direct tax, the you know an indirect tax we can avoid just by not buying the product the gasoline or the t-shirt or whatever um, and then the other type of tax uh, authorized is the direct tax and the Constitution's clear it says they have to be apportioned among the states so there are some very bright people including people like uh, Joe Bannister uh, 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 agent of uh, A special agent of the criminal investigation division of the internal revenue service um, who on his own nickel um, looked into this situation. And and because the, the direct tax on our labor uh, which we cannot avoid uh, is not apportioned. It never was apportioned. And and, uh, so he raised some questions about that and he was immediately told to resign or be fired. There are people who, very bright people who look at issues like this and and they, um, and they raise questions and they don't get any answers. So then they do as people are apt to do. They act on their beliefs and then they hear from the government. Then the government comes down with a sledgehammer on them and that's wrong. Uh, they petition the government. The government doesn't answer. And, and then they act on their beliefs because they, you know, have checked it out. They see the evidence. The government won't answer. They act. Then they hear, then the government acts and they come down hard on these people. And that's not justice, Tim. That's a, 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 a that's an me. example of injustice it's that's an, widespread yep. in America, not just on the tax issue, but on many other, w- yep. w- the Iraq resolution, our organization petitioned. Uh, 91,000 people signed our petition uh, in 2002, five months before we went into Iraq. After the uh, uh, attack on, on the uh, Twin Towers, uh, the war drums in, in the country were really beating. And, and people wanted, you know, to to go after them. And, and, um, uh, and so there was somebody raised the question, well, doesn't Congress have something to say about this under the War Powers Clause? And so there was the Iraq resolution, and and um, and it fell to the uh, House International Relations Committee, chaired by Henry Hyde, and um, and the, and the second day of their hearing, Ron Paul's turn came to speak. He was on the committee, and he did a great job of uh, of giving the history of the of, of the uh, of the clause, War Powers Clause, and. Um, and, and saying, you know, it takes a declaration of war by Congress. There has to be hearings in the House and the Senate. You've got to look at all of these uh, claims that are out there that Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction and he's friendly with al-Qaeda. None of this was true, it turns out. Uh, but it was the basis. Uh, and and um, But Henry Hyde's response, uh, I'll never forget, His, his, his those provisions are... Uh, are, uh, what do you call them, Uh, arcane and and inappropriate. Um, uh, Those provisions of the Constitution are are basically obsolete. Uh, Well, you don't change the Constitution by ignoring it. There's a process. And anyway, uh, five months, and they didn't answer that petition. Um, They pulled off, after the 9-11, they pulled off the shelf uh, and passed uh, the USA Patriot Act. I took one look at that and I said, oh, my God, under this act, government can come into my house, copy my hard drive and leave without ever telling me they were there. What happened to my right to privacy? Yep. And, you know, Snowden and all of this stuff came after. But there was no response to these petitions. And, and um, even though 91,000 people signed them, you know, it's um, so we have a right uh, with every if you read this uh, petition that we've been talking about um, on the electors clause, I took the time and put in there that with every right, there's a remedy and any right that is not enforceable is not a right. And I quoted, uh, the, uh, Blackstone's commentary 23, and also, uh, Marbury versus Madison. They, in 1803, they made it very clear that with every right, there's a remedy and, and any remedy denied is a right denied. And, right. and so, uh, that's a subtle hint in this petition. Uh, you know, we know what our rights are and, and I hope it never comes to where we have to, you know, uh, uh, enforce those rights uh, and, and with a, uh, a remedy such as withholding our money. Uh, you know, the, the delegates to the First Continental Congress said, um, and, and that's the Congress that guided us through the Revolutionary War. That's the Congress that sat the Constitutional Convention, you know, in 1787. Um, That's the the, the Congress that the delegates in 1774 unanimously said, quote, when rulers want money from the people and they have in any manner oppressed the people, the people may retain their money until their grievances are redressed and thus peaceably procure relief. It's a nonviolent solution. Peaceably procure relief without trusting to these despised petitions that for 11 years they had uh, decided, you know, they weren't going to respond to anymore and without um, disturbing the public tranquility. And that's a quote. Uh, people should Google the constitutional convention of 1774. There's a whole bunch of resolutions and resolves uh, by the, by the uh, founders uh, in the continental Congress of 1774. And um uh, and, and, and so I like that one. It's the inhabit. It's a uh, letter to the inhabitants of Quebec. They were trying to get the sympathy of, of Quebec also under the, uh, uh, under the great, uh, under the uh, British government, and trying to get their sympathy. And and so in that letter uh, is when they said, you know, uh, this quote that I just said. People should should Google these things. And um, and they passed the. <laughs> The uh, Articles of Association. Uh, this is 1774, and they and they said anyone in America, in the colonies, that does not go along with it. Oh, they said we're 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 going to uh, not ship, export anything from America to Great Britain, or import anything from them directly or through a third com- uh, country, and and anybody. Uh, that doesn't go along with this in America. We're going to treat them the same way. Um, they meant business, you know. They they were seeking a remedy uh, uh, to their problems of the day, and and um, uh, they they didn't um, you know they they acted. They put their money where their mouth was, and and um, and and all of these principles were carried forward. Uh, and 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 the the problem is as i said before each rising generation does not is not anchored to these fundamental values and principles that is a serious problem they're just so receptive to anything that comes their way in the classroom um it's tragic it's tragic and it's only getting worse and it's time for americans to hear it's time for America to hear from us, to hear from the people, to petition them, and and to uh, put a collective foot down. But keep politics out of it. Yes, I understand the, the Constitution is, is a is a political ideology. Yes, I understand that republicanism. Yes, but keep politics out of this. Um, b- base our actions <coughs> on. Um, the rule of law, uh, the, the okay. constitutional no. republic is all about the rule of law. Right. And, right. and 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 that's up to us. Who else is going to defend it? The government? I agree. They're violating it routinely. Yeah.
0: But, but even
1: even more so,
0: Bob, um, the Constitution was set up specifically to protect us from the fallen nature of man. In other words, mob voting rule. Okay? Okay. We are, uh, we are a republic of laws, not men, not Republicans, not Democrats. And those laws are specifically set up to protect our individual unalienable rights from our creator. And we, need to, we all need to realize that when whichever news agency you're watching on TV says that we have a democracy, that is an absolute, absolute outright lie. Um, Like I said, uh, democracy is outlawed under Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution. We have a republic of laws, as uh, John Adams uh, said in in some of his speeches, and we need to stand up and fight for the rule of those laws to protect our lives, our liberty, and our property. Uh, You know, certainly, uh, you know, I was involved with the Bundy Ranch family back in the day and also at Mallier. Uh, We were there to fight for the rights of the American people, the individual rights. That's what we're there for. And we're protecting the Bundy Ranch family at the time with the American Militia Freedom Forces. When uh, the U.S. government backed down and surrendered to us and begged us for a safe escort out of the area. Uh, Up at Malheur, we were fighting for the seven constitutional laws that expressly prohibit the U.S. government from owning or managing any land in any territory. That was transformed by act of Congress into a free, independent, and sovereign nation, which we call states. And so, these things are critically important. The founding fathers said specifically that a democracy is the worst form of government you could ever have. A democracy is specifically uh, socialism under practical application. Uh, so we've got to we've got to know that, and we've got to fight against a, dem- a democracy. And fight for a Republican form of government, as it says, "quote unquote," under Article Four, Section Four of the
2: Constitution. Yeah, and if anybody has a democracy
1: to the extent that we get to elect the people uh, who hold office, that's the extent of the democracy. But we have something here uh, in closing, Tim. Let me say um, that our system of governance is based upon biblical law and. Uh, We have something in America that no one else on the globe has, no other country. It's called popular sovereignty. Uh, The ultimate power rests with the people. Everywhere else, the ultimate power rests with a king or a dictator or a parliament. Um, But here, the ultimate power rests with the people, and unfortunately... Unfortunately, it it brings me to tears. Unfortunately, people just don't know. And and the government likes it that way. Uh, They're human. It's natural. And they swipe power. We're supposed to give it to them, uh, but they take it. And as Jefferson said, when they take one step outside the boundaries, you want around their power they take possession of a boundless field of power yep. and that seems to be what's happened um, anyway that's my closing thought is popular sovereignty rests with the people
2: amen amen well and i think that was the, the issue that happened in the old testament and in the book of judges that was one of the freest times of the people was that they had god's law and they were the enforcers of god's law and we have that here if the people have missed our talks with uh, david zuniga on the grand jury if you've missed our talks with him as well as Captain Carl on the, mili- on the military, on the militia, uh, then you need to see that because these are our responsibilities. We can sit here and say, oh, you know, these guys are possessed of demons. Oh, Satan's taking this defeatist attitude. If that's what you want to take, you take that and you're going to get defeat. That's exactly what you're going to get. But just to point out something, because somebody was asking about, uh, you know, this, this latest uh, tyrannical bill that's come out. And this ties in with some of the other things. You know, what all is in this bill? Well, you can find out what's in this bill uh, at sonsoflibertymedia.com. I just put this out yesterday. And uh, Andrew Trunsky at the Daily Caller, I mean, he outlines all of the junk they've got in here, the vast majority of it. There might be a few trickles of things that that are constitutional spending, but, I mean, unemployment benefits, where is that in the Constitution? Isn't there? Where's a $600 check to every American and a redistribution of wealth tacked on at whatever kind of percentage we're at now and debt to our posterity, not freedom, slavery? Uh, the, the transportation, um, what is the other thing? It's $45 billion, the Federal Reserve, Nutrition Agriculture Assistance, Education, something that's again, this all this stuff is Tenth Amendment. I mean, it's pretty simple. They're not supposed to be doing any of that. And this is just, this is just scratching the surface because there's millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, your dollars, America, that your representatives, our representatives, are putting forward to the president. Oh, the president's going to veto. Well, so far he hasn't vetoed squat. Is he going to do it because the guys say they have this? Uh, this veto-proof uh, vote, and so he can look like he's really fighting for you now because he hasn't been fighting for you all along. And again, not to be political, I think this is exactly what Bob says. You hold everybody, I don't care what's on their jersey, an R or a D or an I or L or whatever the case may be, you hold them all to the same standard, and that's the law. That's what That law, the Constitution, is supposed to bind them, and the only people, it isn't going to enforce itself, That's what the people are there for. So with that said, I want to thank you guys, uh, Carl and Bob, for uh, joining me this morning. And uh, one of the things I want to remind everybody about is tomorrow morning, we are going to have uh, Lynn Taylor, a Common Core Divas. She'll be on for Rotten of the Core Wednesday. Again, we're going to be wrapping up sort of our uh, December month on the issue of education and the fact that it is the responsibility and the duty and the jurisdiction of parents and the home Not the state. I don't care what Lincoln pushed on the South and the North had there. It is our responsibility, people. And again, if we're if we're losing our responsibility there, if we're if we're not doing what we're supposed to do there, we're not going to do it when it comes to the church. We're not going to do it when it comes to the civil government. So it's got to start with us. Somebody mentioned all politics are local. Yep. Try your own home. (laughs) That'll be the first place you started at. And um uh, I think if we if we would begin to move that way, I think we would see God's blessing come. But again, we've got to do those kinds of things right there. You see what I'm saying? Okay, all right, guys, 22 and a half hours. We'll be back with you. Lynn Taylor, again, Rotten to the Core Wednesday. Till then, see ya.